This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome parenting coach Tia Slightum to the show. Tia has a master's degree in early childhood education and is certified in positive discipline. She's worked with kids and families for over 17 years, and she has a popular TikTok page that has over 750,000 followers. I've asked Tia on the show today to talk about all things setting boundaries with our children. What are boundaries? Why are they so important? Why are they important not only for our child, but also for us as mothers to sometimes hold with our child? We talk about some practical ways we can set boundaries and what boundaries look like in different ages and stages. And most importantly, we talk about how to hold boundaries in more positive and respectful ways rather than having to raise our voice and yell to really enforce and set boundaries. I really enjoy Tia's approach that is really practical and structured, but also really positive and respectful. There are some really good nuggets in here, so get ready to hear my conversation with Tia. One of the most common questions I get regarding mommy rage is, how do I deal with the post-rage guilt? You love your child more than anything, so when you snap, yell, or scream, you're worried that you've damaged the relationship you cherish so much. The good news is that your human moment when your rage bubbles to the surface won't break the attachment you've worked so hard to build, as long as you work to repair. Knowing how to repair with your child is one of the most important tools to have in your parenting tool belt. That's why Dr. Ashari Nareem, Psyched Mummy and I offer a free masterclass to teach you our three-step method for repairing with your child after you lose your cool. This masterclass is packed with valuable information that can help you rebuild and protect the bond you have with your child. We cover how to measure a secure bond with your child, understanding the power of repair, practical ways to repair with your child, and so much more. When you have the right tools and tips, you can break generational cycles and parent the way you envision. Join us for the free masterclass at happyasamother.co slash masterclass. That's happyasamother.co slash masterclass. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Tia, thank you so much for joining us today. I have seen you around in like the Mom Halo, Mom Toronto community. We're both local and 
I've come across your TikToks on my For You page. I'm just really excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us. I'm super excited to be here. We're going to have lots we can talk about, so I'm super excited. The journey is always so fascinating to me, like master's in education to teaching to motherhood and TikTok. Like how does one end up on TikTok and in the parenting content creation world? I know the whole TikTok thing makes me laugh. It makes my kids laugh. And when I first started it, my my boys who are 13 and now 11 were like, mommy, <laughs> you can't be on TikTok. You can't dance on TikTok. I'm like, do not worry. I am not going to dance. I am just going to edutain. Just relax, relax. So yeah, so I started my journey as a kindergarten teacher. I've always loved kids. I actually wanted to be a doctor, but I knew deep down I wanted kids of my own. And I knew I was going to be so entrenched in my schooling and everything that I decided to be a teacher instead of a doctor, which was the best thing ever. I loved, loved teaching kindergarten. And I never would have thought in a million years, I would have been a parenting coach and running my own business. That was not something that I set out to do. It almost sort of fell into my lap and each kind of path and step that I took, it just led me to it. And I can honestly say it is the best job. I love what I get to do, helping parents every day, really break those cycles of anger and punishment and yelling and frustration and feeling like they don't have time for themselves to really come to a place where they feel like they are rocking motherhood and parenthood and they're doing it in a way that feels really good to them. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're clearly having an impact. Like your audience is approaching and climbing to a million. You're like three quarters of the way there and and how you're supporting parents to set and hold these boundaries without losing their cool. I think that's something we can all really relate to, right? Like I've asked you 15 times now and I'm going to lose it. And enforcing and holding boundaries is such a tricky part of parenting, which is why I'm so happy to have you here to talk about it today. Like how can we do this in a way that it's like I hear I hear from parents, they only listen when I raise my voice. Like they wait till that point. And I know you've got some videos on this, right? It's like, I asked patiently, don't forget about the nine times that I asked really kindly, but it wasn't until I lost my cool that they finally got their shoes on and got out the door or however. So yeah, I'm just excited to have this chat. Yeah. It's just one of those things that we have to give ourselves a little bit of grace and know that parenting's not intuitive. Like mm. you're not supposed to know how to set boundaries. You're not supposed to know what to do to avoid the reminders, to avoid the yelling, to avoid feeling like crap after you yell. Like these are things that are actually skills. Skills like performing heart surgery, being an accountant, you know, learning to do whatever profession or hobby you you enjoy or want to do. We need skills, we need practice, and parenting is exactly the same way. And so for parents who are feeling like I'm messing up my kids, I'm failing them, I'm doing everything wrong. No, you're not. You're trying your best, but you're stuck using intuition. And we need to break away from the way that we were parented, our intuition, what we think we should try, and we need to get consistent in learning the skills, and then the rest falls into place. Hmm. It's such a counter reframe, hey? Because a lot of the myths of motherhood that I talk about and I hear moms bring to the table is, I'm a mom. Like, I should know how to handle this situation, or I should know, like, how to pick up on the needs of my child or Mm -hmm. set this boundary or whatever. But like you're saying, these are a set of skills And if these skills haven't really been modeled for us in a, like I say, air quote, appropriate way or maybe healthy way, then our intuition or our instincts or the things that we know fall back on our learned behavior, don't they? What we've learned from our parents and observed growing up. 
a hundred percent. And we can't help that. Like habits really do die hard. And when we're modeled one thing, that's what we know. But then in our core, we want to do things differently. And so we're really stuck between a rock and a hard place. We want to make changes. We want to parent our kids differently. We don't want to repeat those negative cycles if that's how we were raised. But yet we keep repeating negative cycles because we don't know what else to do. And where we get really caught is that we're so emotionally tied to our kids. Being a mom myself, I get it. We want them to reach those milestones and walk and eat properly and have the nutrition and potty train and sleep and do well in school and not battle you with homework. And there are all these things that we need our kids to do so that we can feel like we've done our job. So we've set them up Mm -hmm. for success. And so we're so emotionally tied to the success that we actually lose control when our kids are not doing what we need them to do. And so Mm -hmm. we start then in that lack of control state fall back into those old habits or those ways that we were raised. And then we're kind of stuck on this hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. I'd love for us to set the foundation with like understanding boundaries and why they are important to hold. Because mm-hmm. I think that before we get into how do we hold some of these boundaries, it's really important for us to understand foundationally why for us they're important and also for our child. Yeah. So the thing we have to know, and everybody who's listening should take notes on this, and you remind yourself of this when your kids are pushing the boundaries next time, that our kids are born with two predetermined jobs. Every single child, it doesn't matter their age, they are born needing to please you, which is amazing. We all love it when our kids please us and they're doing what we want them to do. And we're having this like Pleasantville moment. But then their Mm -hmm. counter job, which is really, you know, contradictory to their first job, is to push boundaries until boundaries are found. And so what happens is they need to please you. And if they have set boundaries, they can actually please you and they know what you're expecting of them. And that's amazing. But as parents, if we don't have the skills to set those age appropriate boundaries and really follow through with them, our kids are doing what they're supposed to do. They're pushing and pushing and pushing until they find it. So if we think about those moments where sometimes we tuck our kids in five times, sometimes we lay down and we sleep with them. Sometimes we stay at the park five more minutes when they beg us to because we have the time. Sometimes we say no to two cookies, but they tantrum. So we give in to the two cookies. Every time we're inconsistent, our kids are saying, oh, shoot. I don't know what the boundary is around this, but I do know when I whine and cry and beg and tantrum, we do sometimes get that thing that we're looking for. So the boundary must be that I should behave that way. Mm -hmm. And so every single thing that our kids are doing, they're learning through our parenting tactics, even though we might not be trying to teach them that particular behavior. Mm -hmm. Consistency is something that you brought up there. Like it is so confusing when you don't know what somebody wants or expects from you. Like I think about this even in our own adult relationships or friendships or communication, right? If it's like, oh, one day, like, you know, I want to talk about this thing and then the next day I don't, or I don't want to be, I don't know, approached. And then I do. And we're just like, wait, what does this person want from me? And then it becomes confusing and it can take a toll on the relationship, can't it? Like not knowing what the dynamic is. Yeah. And and not knowing what people expect from you, you know, throughout your day. I mean, it can be very overwhelming. It can cause anxiety in adults. It can cause anxiety in kids. It can create more worry and stress. I mean, we think about having clear lines of communication is one of the biggest things we need for relationships to grow in our adult world. 
and with our kids, we sometimes expect our kids to know our expectations because they just seem logical. It's Mm. logical to take your jammies off and put them in the hamper and brush your teeth and meet me in bed for stories. It's not logical in our brain to lasso your jammies around and run up and down the hallway and do all these things and not brush your teeth. It's like, but hello, what are we doing here? Like our expectations are living in our minds, Hmm. but our lines of communication, because we don't have the skills to communicate it to them, to teach it to them gets missed. And so we're on this side of the spectrum with our expectations living clearly. And our kids are on the other side of the spectrum saying, well, what exactly do they want? And then we're going in and we're reminding and nagging and harping and yelling and getting frustrated and teaching them that, oh, this is probably what mom or dad want. So we're getting very, very confused and they're getting confused because of the lack of communication of what our expectations and clear boundaries are. Hmm. I'm like, you're talking about the lassoing of PJs and running around the house. I'm like, were you in my house last night for tuck-in time? Because that pretty much is every night. It's like the wild, wild west in here come bedtime. But yeah, I think that that is such an important point to highlight. And, And I'm curious when we talk about boundaries, what do they look like in an age-appropriate sense? Because I feel like sometimes, like I'm in this space, I'm a therapist, I talk about boundaries all day long, but for someone who's not in this space, I feel like they can be a very vague concept, especially if they haven't been modeled in a healthy way or we come from like a codependent or like enmeshed family. Boundaries are kind of this weird bullseye that we don't know really what the target is. So can we go through some of the developmental stages? Like what are some age-appropriate boundaries for, let's say, with our like under 12-month-old, if they even need boundaries or what that looks like in toddler and so on, go through a few of those early years? Yeah, for sure. And before we do that, I want everybody to really think about how they can create what I call three C's boundaries. So we want them to be concrete, clear and consistent. Hmm. So when we're teaching our boundaries, because we have to teach, train and practice, we can't just set, we can't set and forget, we need to teach, train and practice them. And that's where the age appropriate examples we'll give will make more sense. But what we need to make sure is that when we're creating those concrete, clear and consistent boundaries, that they know what they are, and they're very black and white. Mm. We often live in the gray zone. And so that's where we're sometimes consistent. Sometimes we do one thing, sometimes we don't. So really think about your number one challenge area and ask yourself, I have clients of mine do this all the time, the dream versus reality brainstorm so that we can set boundaries. What does that challenge area look like for you right now? It's exhausting. It's taking five hours to get my kids to bed. They're in and out of bed. I have to sit in there. Like write it all down. What does it look like for you? And then on the other side of the paper, write down like in your dreamland, what would you love it to look like? It can be bedtime takes 20 minutes. I kiss them goodnight. I close the door. I walk out. They stay in bed. They sleep all night. They stay in their room in the morning until X time. All the things that you desire can be taught and practiced and trained, but we have to know where you are. We have to know where you want to go so we can close that gap. So that's Hmm. the first exercise I want everybody to think about for their biggest challenge area, no matter what age your child is, uh, you know, a toddler, a school-age kid, or even a tween or teen. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's a really interesting piece because I think in my mind, I'm also differentiating like 
boundaries we set for our child and then boundaries we have with ourselves around our child. So for example, if we've got an infant or like a 12-month-old, we probably, I don't know what boundaries would look like at that age group, but I know for me what my boundary is in terms of my capacity for feeling touched out. I know what my boundary is for sleep and sleep deprivation and when I need to call in support. And I think that as moms, we often don't think that we need to or should have boundaries or limits with our child. We think we should just be this ever-flowing dam of love and patience and nurturing kindness. But we actually, it's healthy to have these boundaries for ourselves Mm -hmm. towards our children. And so this is the space where I work and I think more on like the mom front and less of the parenting front where it's like, where are other hard times of day? Like, where do you find it falling apart for you if you've got an infant, for example, that maybe you're not going to enforce a boundary with, but clearly there's a a boundary or something that has to happen during this time, right? So I think in those early years, maybe it's even a little bit more about us finding what our threshold, our tolerance is, and knowing how to set a boundary, call in support and ask for help during those times. Yeah. And especially in those early years, And all the way through parenting, really, but in the early years, we're really focusing on the basic needs. So sleep, nutrition, and security. And we're really trying to meet the needs of our infant so that we can avoid the excess crying or the uncomfortable behaviors or the, you know, having a hard time settling to sleep. And so we think about that as like a proactive, like, like think of parenting as a piece of pie and around 90% of it is proactive parenting. Only 10 of it is responsive. A lot of times we're reactive. We want to be responsive. That's our goal. Mm. But so often as parents, what we do is we cross our fingers and cross our toes and we wait and wait and wait for a fire to happen. And then we kind of frantically try and put that out with whatever tools or strategies we can pull out of our pockets. Mm -hmm. Instead, I encourage parents to learn the skills to be proactive, to set those boundaries in advance, to set the stage so that you can avoid those unwanted behaviors And that way, when something does happen, you know why it's happening and you know which tool to use. So when we're looking at those early years of the infant stages, the proactive parenting is really you're the needs keeper. You're there to make sure that they're really sleeping well. They've got great nap schedules. You focus on that, you know, sleep teaching as soon as you can to create those routines so that you know when your child's going to rest. So you know when you have you time. So Mm -hmm. you know when you can kind of count on a little window to put your feet up or read a magazine or close your eyes or exercise or call a friend. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have those routines and schedules, which are in turn boundaries for our baby, Mm -hmm. we don't have the room or the capacity to have boundaries for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You had said something about like setting boundaries to sort of like curb behavior. And it's an interesting thought coming up in my mind because I think that this is a little bit twofold because I have um, a neurodivergent child. I found out I was neurodivergent via the TikTok algorithm. Thank you very much. Got my doctor, sorted all myself out in my 30s. Here we are. And in that process, I actually realized that I'm ADHD because my child was having some behavioral challenges and we were working on getting him assessed and diagnosed. And so boundaries with him are interesting because it doesn't necessarily, I don't know, stop the behavior, not the behavior, probably the feeling. It doesn't stop the feeling. But it does contain behavior. Like if he's like flailing around and trying to hit his brothers or throw things, I contain that behavior right away. In a really safe way, there's a boundary. None of that can happen. Like that's not safe. It's not safe for you. It's not safe for your brothers. Up we go to his room together to deal with the big emotion. 
but there's a clear boundary around what behavior is acceptable and what is not acceptable. I think it becomes a little bit confusing when we think that putting boundaries in place means that there will be like no resistance or struggle to the boundary. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So what happens is in the beginning, there's definitely going to be resistance and struggle because they're used to you being one way. Mm. What happens over time is when you have young kids, especially if you can start to do this really consistently and build your systems while we're setting boundaries, we're also doing so many other things. We're filling up power and attention buckets. We're helping our kids feel confident and capable. We're helping them feel like we, they know where they fit in, in our family and in our world. And we're giving them the attention that they need from their perspective. Like there's a whole puzzle of things that need to go on to really get the results that you want. And so when we think about setting boundaries, we don't think of it as I'm just going to set these harsh rules and my kids have to follow these rules because I said so and I'm the boss and you do it or else. That's where we're falling into that authoritarian parenting approach. Mm-hmm. Here we're really working from you know an authoritative or positive discipline approach. So what we want to do is we want to set boundaries that in a mutual respect way that shows your child that you're there to guide them and support them, but their feelings matter. And that's why boundaries aren't about squashing our kids or you know pushing them down or overpowering them, but rather building them up so that they can be self-managers and be independent in this world. And when they're outside of the home, understand the appropriate importance of following boundaries that you know maybe mom or dad didn't set. And so a lot of times we have this feeling or paradigm that boundaries are negative, that boundaries are harsh mm-hmm. and boundaries are not. They're actually a gift that we give our kids so they can relax and stop pushing because they really want to complete that task and that goal that they have. Mm-hmm. I think some other myths that come up in my mind around boundaries is that they have to be extremely rigid and they're, like you said, very top down and maybe they come across in very like stern tone of voice, like you said, harsh, right? This kind of like my way or the highway strict style of top-down parenting. And that's not it at all. Like I think that we can set very like firm boundaries in the most like connected and loving way, you know. And I mean, sometimes we might be irritated, but it's not like my way or the highway. And an example of this is like what I was talking about with my son. It's like, I'm not going to shame him for his behavior or like freak out that he like hit his brother and is having a huge meltdown. I know his brain is wired differently, but I will scoop him up and take him upstairs. I'm like, buddy, like I got to keep you safe. It's my job to keep you safe. It's my job to keep your brother safe. We're going to be here until we can be safe down in the living room with the rest of the family, you know, and that is a firm boundary. He gets the message. There's no wishy-washy about it. But it's very like loving and with his best interests and his brother's best interests at heart, right? Yeah, 100%. I try and remind parents that our goal is really to be matter of fact and free of emotion. So Mm. as soon as we're triggered to get angry or frustrated, we're actually picking up our end of the tug of war rope and we're actually engaging in that game of tug of war. As soon as you are frustrated and you're reminding and you're nagging and you're yelling, it's like nobody's going to win that. So you might win because you overpower and you finally just hit that threshold where you yell and your kids out of fear, stop doing what you want them to do. But you didn't actually really win because we didn't solve anything. The boundary is still not set for the next time. Or your child might win because you just give in because you just can't deal anymore and you just want the noise to stop and you just walk away. And so in that moment, we create this power struggle relationship with our kids where 
we try and set a boundary, but we haven't really done it in the most effective way. And so we teach them to keep pushing that and play that game of tug of war. So I want you to think about setting boundaries like you have with your son, where it's really concrete, clear, and consistent. It's the same thing every time, but you're always their guide, their leader, and their support. That's what we really want to emphasize here. So if we're thinking about, let's say, like school-aged kids' boundaries, like some areas where we can really focus is morning routines. I know parents struggle a lot with morning routines and getting their kids out of the house and needing to remind them to brush their teeth or get dressed or they won't eat breakfast or get their shoes on. Everybody's sweating in all the wrong spots. They're stressed out. They're late. Like, oh my gosh, why does the morning have to be like this? That's where your reality is not where you want it to be. And what we want to do is we want to get those concrete, clear, consistent boundaries so your kids can do all the things that they're capable of doing on their own. So boundaries for your kids on morning routines, I always recommend using a morning routine chart, something that's visual, that shows them pictures with words so that they can be the boss of their own morning routine. Mm -hmm. And what you want to put on there are the things you want them to do. And the things you want them to do are your boundaries. And that's why we're going to teach, train, and practice that chart. And what we don't realize is that by doing this, you're taking work off of your plate. You're giving your child more independence and responsibility. You're filling up their power bucket, which is their emotional need that they need to be filled daily. And everything's a win-win. But what we need to do is step back from that reminding and that nagging, create those boundaries, and charts are an amazing way to kind of start jump-starting that process. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. 
Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. We have a Google Home system, and we recently discovered the Google Family Bell. It is a setting, very deep down in Google, these magical settings that you just discover one day via TikTok. Thank you very much, TikTok. And it pops up at the beginning of when we need to start transitioning our morning routine. The kids click it open. And it's like, good morning, you know, boys, you need to start with first getting dressed. And so they go, they get dressed, they come back, they click it off. It like does a little chime. Congratulations. Great job. And then you need to now go take your medicine or your vitamin or whatever. And it walks them through. I don't even have to do a thing. Google just pops it up and they're like, oh, family bell is on. And then they like go because they want to engage with Google and click it off and hear it sing. And it wishes them have a good day. The last click off is like they've got their shoes on, they're going out the door, and then it's like, have an amazing day. And they click it off and they're like, have a good day, Google, or whatever. And off they go. Like they do fight over who gets to click what thing. So we've had to really work hard on our turn taking and who gets to do it first. So there's a bit of negotiating there. And we have a bedtime one as well. And they even asked me to, and I still haven't, I'm dragging my feet. That's a mummy moment. But they want a family bell for when they come home from school that they get to check off for unpacking their bags, putting their lunch away, tucking their shoes in their cubby and all of that. So they like the structure. They like to engage with it. And once it's automated, it's kind of off my shoulders in a way. It's like, hey, did you do the family bell? Hey, did you do the chart as you're mentioning or the picture chart? Like, yeah. And it gives them that, like you said, autonomy over their own little routine. Exactly. And for people who don't have Google Home, I really recommend this timer, which is the Time Tracker Mini. And the reason I really recommend it is because it has this amazing green dial where you can set it. There's a link in my bio on Instagram if parents are interested in it, but you can set it for the time that you desire, like 20 minutes to get ready for your morning routine. But then the yellow dial is your warning audio and visual beep and change of color. And so for kids who really struggle with transitions, who you know, really don't want time to be up from playing or time to be up with TV, or they don't, they lollygag to get ready in the morning and then they're running out of time. Yeah, You can set your warning timer and it really does help you step away. Once you've done your teaching, training and practicing, your kids will follow the timer. They'll follow the chart. And, and now you have your routines. And this is why I say 
starting these things now is what's great because when your kids are older, like mine being 11 and 13, I don't have to teach and train my systems. It's just a new school year. We might have to talk about what day is gym for which uniform or what day is this for books at the library, but it's very minimal because they're mm. now just used to doing everything. So the, the hard work is now. Mm-hmm. And then it's so much easier, which falls into that proactive parenting piece. Yeah, it's really helpful. And I see how so much of this work is up front in the early years. Hey, like there's so much going on postpartum. And then we're just really teaching these norms, shaping these patterns and norms that will stay with us as a family mm-hmm. throughout years. But this is kind of we're in the thick of laying these foundations, right? Yeah. And, and once you lay them, you're kind of done because you've created a family dynamic and an environment where everybody kind of knows their part. And that's why I always say to parents, do the work now so that Mm. you can enjoy your kids as they grow. So you don't have to have these, you know, phases that people say, you know, the terrible twos or the three nagers or the hormonal teens. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, our kids are going to have, you know, some toddler tantrums and yes, they're going to push boundaries because they don't have boundaries set or their verbal skills aren't able to address what they want to think and feel and be able to explain that to you. We're going to see some frustrations. That's part of growing up. But what we don't need to see is constant tantrums and meltdowns, constant negotiating and manipulating, constant attitude from your teenager because they're going through hormonal shifts. Mm -hmm. That's a red flag that we can change some things on our parenting and we can make some shifts to shift our child's behavior, which means we're going to be supporting them more. So that's really where we want to look at occasional things. They're normal. They're not robotic. We're not robots. But all the time, every day, those are your red flags that things could be much easier. Hmm. Hmm. When I'm thinking about and tracing through my mind where families tend to struggle with boundaries a lot, I feel like transitions are a really big one. Getting out the door, getting the kids up to sit for dinner, staying at the dinner table, making it to bed, transitioning to bed, staying in bed. These are ones that are coming to mind. Are there others that you see routinely with families as well? Yeah, coming in the door and not wanting to do their homework, refusing to turn off their device, wanting to have their device at the table. There's just so, so many. When we think about the main reason kids struggle with transition, two main reasons. One, we're usually the boss of it. Time to turn off the TV and go to bed. Well, Mm. like, why do you get to say that I have to stop something I'm enjoying to go do something I'm not enjoying? Mm -hmm. So for that aspect, what we want to think about is we want to think about really how can we help them transition through the use of timers so they know how much time is allotted so we're not just the big bad wolf who's coming in and telling them and then we also want to kind of shift our days so that we can be really thoughtful in the way that we set our routines in that our kids should really do the things they need to do before they do the things they want to do so if you're really struggling with those transitions ask yourself okay is my child watching tv and then i'm asking them to do homework Is my child, you know, playing and then I'm asking them to come and eat just right off the bat? How can we kind of transition it so that they're doing the things they need to do before? So when you're done your homework, then you can go and play on your iPad. Hmm. When you're done, you know, cleaning up, then we can go and read your stories. Like thinking about the things they need to do before the things they want to do. A lot of times the transitions are hard because we have that flip-flopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't want to transition away from the thing they want to do to do like an obligation or a chore or something that's less exciting for them, right? Everything we ask our kids to do is lame. Like Mm -hmm. really think about it. (laughs) Think about it as a parent. Mm -hmm. What do we ask our kids to do? 
get dressed, brush your teeth, clean up, come and eat, come inside, stop playing, turn off the TV, do your homework, study for your test, mm-hmm. unload the dishwasher. Nothing is really all that exciting. The things they want to do are way more exciting. So in order to help encourage cooperation without force and to get help your boundaries be more clear and help them be encouraged to do them, if they know there's something on the back end that they're looking forward to, they're way more apt to get done what you need them to do. So for morning routines, when you're done your morning chart, then you can watch your show until it's time to go. The faster you do the morning chart, the more TV time you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we think about the boundary setting in a toddler preschool sort of landscape, I would say a lot of the moms um, listening probably have at least one child still in that age group. Mm. I feel like this is a little bit of a trickier age in the sense that the like conceptualization or the understanding and the reasoning isn't there as much as it is with like my seven-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. So it can't always be like explained. We can't always appeal to logic. And so this is a tricky age group for boundaries. Exactly. Because we can't sit down and have these at length conversations and really reason with them. But yet we still want them to perform and to do these things. And so that's where I want you to think about taking your expectations out of your mind and getting them out on the table for your toddler. So if we use cleanup time, and lots of my clients will complain that their toddlers don't want to clean up, they refuse, they say no. Again, asking our toddler to clean up when they were having so much fun it's boring. It's not fun. They're having to stop what's filling their day with joy to Mm. do something really not fun. And so what we have to think about with younger kids is making things a little more fun. Mm -hmm. So when my kids were younger, we always had a cleanup song and it happened to be Taylor Swift because she was really popular at the time. And we would turn on a Taylor Swift song and together the three of us would try and clean up before the song ended. And we would be crawling around on our hands and knees and we'd be racing and we'd be like, ready, set, go. And we'd turn the song on and the three of us together would clean up. So when you have younger kids, we want to build the autonomy so that they'll do things independently. But in order to teach that, we've really got to model it and we've got to be Mm. there with them making it fun. So if your boundary is, you know, when the timer goes off, cleanup time starts, then how are we going to make that fun and encourage that? Whether it's a cleanup song or a cleanup dance or something that they're looking forward to once the cleanup is done. So thinking about how you can support them to be successful in meeting those boundaries and expectations. That modeling and teaching piece that you're talking about is really like opening my mind a little bit here because I think that I see a lot of parents, well, I've asked you, well, I've told you, you know, and I would say like even with my neurodivergent son, like he's five, he's still at a place where I need to be in a task with him because of his attention, his focus. He sometimes has the capacity to like take a verbal instruction and go with it. Other times he does not. And I'm in there modeling it with him or maybe hand over hand supporting him through it because he's still in that training phase and his is maybe a little bit extended from others. But I think it's a really important thing to visualize and see it that way. It's not that you are like failing in setting that boundary and they're not listening to you and oh now like you're cleaning up the toy bucket or whatever. It's like you're down there with them. We feed the hungry toy bins in our house and how hungry are the toy bins? They must be really hungry because all the toys are on our floor. They must be starving. Let's feed them, right? And being in there is, as you said, modeling and training and it's not going to be that way forever, but it's an important part of the process, isn't it? Yeah, because 
so many parents will put up that chart and I, I bet you almost every listener will say, I've tried a chart before and it just didn't work. And it's not that the chart doesn't work. It's that we miss that really important step of the teaching, training, and practicing. We need insurance. We need insurance that we know our kids can do it. And if we don't teach, train, and practice, we're still like, we know that they can do it, but they still haven't done it for us yet. And so when you're doing your like role modeling and you're going through the motions of practicing your routines that you've set up together for your chart, when you do it, you get to say to them, okay, what's next on my chart? Oh, I need to get dressed. Okay, great. Where do I choose my clothes from? How do you have that set up for them? You get to role model all of that. You don't have to lasso your jammies around. You can actually take your jammies off calmly and put them in the hamper and role model that. But then when it's their turn, now they're going to run through that chart and you're going to say, oh, ding, ding, ding. I have my insurance. I know they can do it. They know that I know that they can do it. Mm -hmm. So now I don't need to power struggle with them on, I told you, you need to do this. You need to do this. Now we're at the phase of, okay, we all know you can do it. These are your boundaries. They've been practiced and taught. You know what it is. What happens when that boundary is not met? And that's where we lead into like that next part. So we have like the set the stage, we have the teaching, training and practicing, and then we have our follow through piece. And our follow through Mm -hmm. piece is where we need more skills to ensure that we're not using punishment tactics. We're not yelling, we're not reminding because that's going to teach them not to do that chart. It's going to teach them not to do it. And what we want to do is teach them to do it. So we set a really age appropriate consequence or follow through where they know what's going to happen when they don't follow through on that chart. Mm -hmm. So many pieces of that puzzle. And I'm curious, like what an appropriate follow through would be that isn't like punitive and isn't like a punishing or a harsh consequence. Yeah. So we want to avoid punishment all the time. Mm -hmm. So to punish means anything that causes blame, shame, or pain. Whereas disciplining is to teach and train. So when our child doesn't do something that we want them to do, or we're disappointed in whatever behavior they're doing, we want to teach and train for them not to do it next time. That's the whole goal. When we jump into punishment, Mm -hmm. we focus on our child as a person, and we're showing them that blame, shame, and pain. We're mad, we're yelling, we take things away, we get, you know, get frustrated. And we've forgotten about the behavior all together. We're just focusing on, on, on our kids. When we're disciplining, we're not causing blame, shame, or pain. We're focused on the fact that what they needed to do didn't get done. Mm -hmm. And now how are we going to help them do it next time? And there's a really big difference. And that's why we want to always be focusing on the behaviors, not the child. And also how can we help them do better next time? So if you're setting up a morning routine, you know, one of your consequences might be that they lollygagged and the timer went off and it's time to go and they didn't get any TV time. That that might Mm -hmm. be something in itself that really frustrates them. And it's not going to bother you whether they watch TV or not. It doesn't change your morning, but it 100% might change theirs, especially if their brothers and sisters got to watch TV because they finished and and they didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're setting up some gentle life lessons that don't have to be, you're not going to the birthday party because you didn't get ready this morning on time. That's Mm -hmm. where we're going to get caught in those cycles of our kids still not following through with those charts. So if you use punishment after your chart, the chart won't work. If you don't teach Mm -hmm. in practice, the chart won't work. And when I say chart, I just mean boundaries in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes me think about the kindergarten classes that my children have been in and they're on like a pom-pom system or like something. It's it's a similar thing to help work through those transitions, right? And 
I'm curious what age group a chart would work for. When might you implement that? Um, Because they can also be visual, can't they? Yeah, I would say two plus. And for your two-year-olds, you might have two things on your chart. It might be socks with a little picture into the hamper. And at night, they learn to take off their own socks and plop them into the hamper. And it might be sit on the potty. And before bed, you're Mm going to sit on the potty. And those might be their morning routine and their bedtime routine. And as they get proficient mm-hmm. at that, you're going to add things. Also for kids who have ADHD or underlying you know, learning disabilities that can't handle all these multi-step things, you're going to start smaller and then you're going to add too. When we create our chart, a really big rule of thumb is to think about what are the things your kids can do on their own or almost do on their own. Those are mm-hmm. the things we want to add to that chart because I can guarantee that all of us do things for our kids that they're capable of doing on their own. And that Mm -hmm. actually causes more unwanted behaviors. And we take away their sense of confidence and their power in their emotional bucket. So really think about your chart from an age standpoint, but also what they're capable of. Some three-year-olds are getting undressed. Other three-year-olds are not. Some five-year-olds have more self-regulation. Some do not. It's not always about the age, but more about your own child and what, where they're at in their development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I love that. And you want them to have success in, in choosing those things, right? Like you start off on a positive foot when you put things on there that they already kind of know and are doing, it also sets them off to be like excited about the chart and to see like how they're doing these things themselves. And it gives them a little kind of like independence boost as well. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And really hang that chart in an accessible spot for your child. Or I'll recommend often to put them on a clipboard. A lot of kids love to be like the boss or CEO of their chart. And if you have it on a clipboard and you can even get a little piece of yarn with a pencil that ties it to the top of the clipboard so they don't have to lose it and they get to cross it off every time they do it. Some kids are like, damn, this is like the coolest thing that I'm getting ready in the morning and I'm crossing off my clipboard and they carry it around from room to room to go to the bathroom. And mm. and then I would recommend having a parking spot for that clipboard so that you're not trying to find it the next time you need it. <laughs> but really when they're done, they park their clipboard in the parking spot. Um, so there's lots of ways that we can make it fun for our kids and really exciting for our kids. So think about involving them in the process. When you're creating the chart, let them decorate it, put stickers on it, color it. For kids who are phonetically um, starting to be, you know, emergent readers, maybe they want to try and spell it out themselves and make their own chart. Maybe they want Mm -hmm. you to put the words on there and they're going to color in the pictures. There's so many things you could do, but the more you involve your kids, the more invested they will be because you're working as a team, you're building your bond and connection all at the same time. Yeah, when I used to work like in the children and family space before working with moms, sometimes when kids would have their chart, we would have them put like their parents on a chart too for fun because they just like liked to be, you know, like checking in on their parents. Like, did they get this done in the morning for the routine or did they also make it through the routine like, you know, like in a respectful way? And is everybody playing to the same, you know, boundaries essentially? And so it can be really fun in that way too. Exactly. One last question that we're going to wrap up here is when is it appropriate to flex a boundary? Because we're talking about boundaries aren't these hard and fast, my way or the highway rules, which in my mind means they've got some give to them, but they also have to be consistent. So how might we flex a boundary? Maybe we can think of an example. Yeah. So general rule of thumb, while you're trying to resolve unwanted behaviors, while you're in teaching mode, you're going to be so, so consistent to the best of your ability. It doesn't mean you might not have a Mm -hmm. night where up a little later or something happens, but you want to try to be really consistent while you're teaching. 
when you have your systems in place, it's going to be very clear to you where you can kind of let things go a little bit. So Mm. we used to always have iPads in the cupboard during the week. They came out on the weekend and they knew when they were allowed to use them. As my boys have gotten a little bit older, I know they have amazing grades. They come home, they do their homework. I don't have to ask them. I don't need to check it. I know they're doing all of their responsibilities. I'm okay. Slowly, the iPads have just kind of come out a little bit in the morning here or a little bit after school here. And I haven't had to worry about it. I've let that boundary loosen because Mm -hmm. I see that they're taking care of all of their things. If I start to see that things are, you know, sliding in the wrong direction, for some reason, a teacher were to email me or their grades were to slide, we would need to go back through and kind of reset some concrete, clear, consistent boundaries to make sure we could help guide them to get back on track. So really allow yourself to know that we want routine and structure without rigidity. We don't want to be so rigid that nothing feels like fun. So you mm. might have looser boundaries on the weekend because you don't have to get up and get dressed right away. So you might have a jammy day and that's okay. So really think about your child. Some kids, when they're younger in particular, they don't really want you to loosen it. They like the consistency. They like it to be really the same every single day because that brings them ease and it decreases anxiety. As they grow, you might be able to loosen it and they'll also, you know, really relish in that. So we want to kind of have you look at your own child, your own routines, start consistent and then loosen up where and when you can. Hmm. Well, and it sounds like a really great distinction here is it's not in the heat of the moment. It's in these more calm, conversational, renegotiating times, not when we're like faced with the behavior and we're maybe like, you know, tired and being worn down. That's not usually the best time because we're just, you know, we're tired in those moments and we do want to cave. And sometimes, you know, we have to hold a boundary. But yeah, yeah, no, it's a really great distinction. That kind of turns into the Band-Aid solutions where we're just putting a Band-Aid on something because we just want it to stop in the moment. We want to avoid Mm. using Band-Aids. Band-Aids are short term. They don't stick forever. So we want to ask ourselves, if I'm going to say this or do this right now, is this something I really want to live with long term? And if not, most likely it's a Band-Aid solution. So even stepping away in the heat of the moment and saying, you know what, mommy needs a moment. I will be back with you in a second. You don't have to solve everything right away. Walk away, Mm -hmm. step outside for a minute, think about what's happening, and then think about maybe why that behavior started and what you want it to look like next time. How can we get our kids there? What's the boundary we need to put in place? And then readdress it when things are calm. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. This is so good. I feel like I could sit here and talk with you all All day day long. And I know this is, we could like totally nerd out over all things parenting and children and boundaries. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more from you, if they want to work with you? Where are you hanging out? Yeah. So I have a ton of free videos and people could dive in for hours and hours on my Instagram, which is at Tia Parenting Coach. I also have lots of quick videos on TikTok, which is just Parenting Coach. And then, of course, my website, tiaslitem.com. Parents are welcome to kind of dig in there, even book a free strategy call with me to decide what your challenges are and what next step might be good for you. We're here to support parents if that's something they want to do. So definitely don't hesitate to reach out. Mm -hmm. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes and the blog post that this becomes. And yeah, thank you. These are really practical things. And as always, when we hear from our audience and if there's questions that flood in and you guys kind of decide where you know, like our guest list goes. So if there's lots of questions and we'll be 
knocking on your door to have you back and maybe we'll do some troubleshooting of scenarios or something. Who knows what, what comes in from people. Yeah. It'd be fun to do a live like Q&A session or something like that. That'd be awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you being here today. Thank you for having me. Isn't Tia amazing? I absolutely love her really down-to-earth, practical approach to parenting. And I don't know about you, but I'm already brainstorming ways that I can help to put my children in charge of their own routine, whether that's through charts or using our Google Family Bell, but ways that I don't have to be on their heels all the time and they can take some ownership for their own tasks, routines, and chores. If boundaries are something that you haven't really grown up with, and if they haven't really been modeled for you, I encourage you to check out my boundaries workshop that I hosted with Dr. Asherina Reem. In this workshop, we help you to understand what boundaries are and why they are so important, the different style of boundaries, and also how we can learn to set boundaries with people in our lives. Now, there are people in our lives who accidentally overstep a boundary, and those people usually are pretty easy to set boundaries with, but then there are people in our life that purposefully kind of stomp over the boundary, and we would call those boundary violators. We also talk about ways to handle these types of people because it can be really intimidating, and many of us shy away from conflict in the face of having to set a firm boundary. So check out this boundaries workshop, happyasamother.co slash boundaries. That's happyasamother.co slash boundaries. I'll see you right back here. Same time, same place next week, where we are being joined by reproductive psychiatrist, Dr. Nicole Leistakow to help us learn how to plan for sleep in the postpartum period. You do not want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job. Settling is not an option. Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.